I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Is sin dead to you? Is sin dead to you? I heard an honest answer. (laughs) Or do you stay in touch? You know, keeping it only mostly dead. Checking in every now and then to make sure it's doing okay without you. You know? I sure hope not. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. And I don't want that. You don't want that. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Okay? For you did not, listen close, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship, some versions say adoption. We are God's children, heirs, and the sons were heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Because we're his body and he's the head. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. They're neither male nor female. For you are all one body in Christ Jesus and heirs according to the promise. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. So, okay, hold on a minute. This is this, is this week where I just went, wait, what? What? My whole point last Sunday was we're slaves to God, slaves to obedience. What do you, what's going on? Can Paul, can you do this? What do you think? The Apostle Paul says, don't you know that you are slaves? I mean, he clearly says this. Do you not know that you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obe- slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, you have been set free from sin, slavery to sin, and have become slaves to righteousness. You have been set free from sin, have become slaves to God, and the benefit you reap leads to holiness. So what's going on here? I thought just that we're no longer a slave, but a child of God. How do you get out of this one, Paul? How do you get yourself out? What what are you saying? What I'm saying is, says Paul, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave. Oh, 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 that's completely different. So when you say slaves of God, slaves of obedience, slaves of righteousness, you're not slave slaves. No, you're sons of righteousness, children. As long as you haven't grown up, you're no different than a slave. (laughs) That's very different. I guess it's true. We must receive every word into our heart in order to have ears to hear. Hmm. 
He goes on, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights of sons by growing up and growing into our inheritance. So he goes on, and just to be clear, in Christ, whether male or female, you are no longer a slave of sin, but a son of righteousness, because we're the body of Christ and we've put him on. But as he says earlier, as long as the heir is a child, no different from a slave. So, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. <laughs> we are to grow up into Christ by putting to death the deeds of the flesh by the power of the spirit of sonship. But until we all grow up into Christ, we all remain like a slave to something. To something. Because just like children, self-rule isn't an option. It's a delusion. There's two masters. You can't serve both. You've got to pick one. You're not one of the two. <laughs> Jesus came to set the captives free from sin. From enslavement to sin by adopting them as sons, children of God. But as long as you're an ignorant child, you haven't grown up yet, well, you're no different from a slave. But you're not a slave. You just act like one. See, last week, Bruce, what an idiot. He didn't know any of that stuff. <laughs> For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Dead, death, the way it's used here. Dead is a funny word. It is, you know, we use it so many ways. The Bible uses it so many ways. A jury can be deadlocked. A lock can be dead bolted. A bolt can be dead weight, especially to a dead beat. And that tanker that we've talked about. So that tanker can come to a dead stop in a dead calm, in dead silence. Unless the captain is dead set against it, you know, for fear that a deadly torpedo uh, could hit him dead center and leave him dead in the water. So what does it mean? How do we put sin to death and live? By dying to sin. <laughs> Follow the logic here. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? See, our old self was crucified with him. So that the, the body of sin might be done away with and, and literally made powerless. Speaks of a process. That we, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died to sin has been freed from sin. So what's it mean to have died to sin? I can tell you first what it does not mean. It cannot mean that we never sin. Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, Only self-deluded liars claim to be uh, completely free of sin, rather than free from 
the power of sin. Talk about that in a moment, but here's what he says. If we claim to be without, without sin, ah, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at this. This is how we're set free from sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, Paul is talking about uh, what we die to is this living in it, living in sin. That's what we got to define. Living in, this is what we die to. We die to this idea of living in ongoing, unrepentant wrongdoing. Okay? When someone says, you're dead to me, you are dead to me. We know what it means. It means they want nothing to do with us. They're cutting off all ties, all contact, all association because they want nothing to do with you anymore. Being dead to sin in order to put sin to death is like that. We die to sin, boom, by one sacrifice. But then putting sin to death, oh, that's a process of being made holy. But when I die to sin, sin is dead to me. Doesn't mean we don't bump into each other. <laughs> I just, I don't want, I want nothing to do with you anymore, sin. Oh, sin just met me in the grocery store aisle. I, yeah, 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 I still want nothing to do with you. Paul explains it this way. He says, those who live according to the sinful nature, here's what it means, and here's what we die to, have their minds set on what that nature desires. That's what their mind is set on. But those who live in accordance, this is all process talk, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Two masters, two masters, pick one. I'm dead set on following Jesus, but we need to understand that dead to sin does not in any way mean dead to temptation. I mean, we know that from ample scripture. We've been set free from the domination of sin, not the lure of temptation, because Jesus did not die to take away our free will. That didn't happen. So I still have a sin nature, you still have a sin nature, we all have a sin nature. That's the battle that's going on. But I've been given the power to triumph over it. Being set free was a single action accomplished by Christ. Walking in our freedom and growing up into Christ is a process requiring our daily desire and cooperation and effort. Paul writes, just, he is like, here's his example. Think of it this way. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity, and now we know what that means, your mind was set on fulfilling the desires of, of impurity, uh, and to ever-increasing wickedness, because as you all know, you just got to keep adding more to get that same rush. So now he says, think of it that way in reverse. So now offer them in uh, like slavery, because be a child is like slavery, in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So, here's the thing. If you don't want victory, don't expect victory. 
two masters. You can't serve both. If you're serving both, you don't want victory. You know what a slave owner was called in Jesus' day? Lord. <laughs> that's just, that's, Lord, that's what it means, master. And I'll tell you something you already know. There is only one Lord whose ownership actually liberates. The one who has come to adopt us as sons. And then empower us to grow into our full rights of inheritance. Which means, to the degree that we hold back from total submission to our Savior, we remain enslaved to the control of sin. Think about it this way. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. There's a, a controlling element of our faith uh, through God's empowering by the Spirit. Uh, Pastor John gave me an analogy a long time ago that I, I really like. I, I love this analogy because we talk a lot about being empowered by the Spirit. And what, I mean, well, this is what Paul's talking about, this control of righteousness. It's like power steering, okay? It feels like you're the one doing the work of steering until the power steering pump goes out. <laughs> and then you suddenly realize, oh, how much assistance you were given. I didn't know. I couldn't discern. It's like that. It may feel like you're doing all the work, but if he were to remove his spirit that's been given to us as a guarantee, and sometimes we get a taste of that, don't we, when we fall into sin. It's like, oh, this is what it feels like for your spirit to go, come back. <laughs> he says, I've never left you. Oh, right, I come back. <laughs> and this power, just like power steering, it's never, it never comes absent our effort. It's not like, okay, power steering, do your thing. Because no, I empower you, you just. And here's why, empowered steering it, it, with God can't, doesn't, won't work when we're set on turning our own way. He's not going to fight us, and he's not going to help us. Our problem is, pardon uh, the level of grossness to the analogy, but I, I, I want it to stick in your head, and I think it's a great analogy. Our problem is, we want God to liposuction our sin. You know? Just, come on, God, suck it out, throw it away with minor pain, quick recovery, and be, so we can be magically rid of it. But he won't, and he don't. Forgives your sin in an instant. But he cleanses us through a process of being what he calls washed in his word. Paul says, but now that you have been set free from sin by receiving forgiveness from it and the power to overcome it and have become slaves to God, so now, let's, now that we know the broader understanding of that, and have become immature children of God, which is no different in practice than slaves to God, the benefit you reap. Now look at all these process words. The benefit you reap. We reap that which we sow and cultivate and grow. Lead I to sin and begin to receive new life in Christ 
by one sacrifice made perfect forever. Time to be made holy. <laughs> Liposuction may uh, make someone look better, but it not make them stronger. That comes through healthy habits and effort, and that's why the Lord will not liposuction our sin. But I'll tell you what he will gladly do. <laughs> He'll gladly train us, train us to grow up into his character because he doesn't enable laziness. He empowers holiness. Oh, <laughs> that's good, I guess. But it goes against my nature. He says, right, grow up, grow up. For sin shall not be your master. That's not a command. It's a promise. It's a promise. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law. But I tell you what you are, you are under grace. Any idea what the difference is? Because this is good. This is good. Under law means that, that God's acceptance is a wage that I earn by following rules. And if we don't come out from under that mindset, then every sinful act will threaten to separate us from God. Now, under grace means God's acceptance is a gift I receive by following Jesus and when you're following Jesus, nothing can separate you from his love. <laughs> for the wages, uh, Paul goes on, for the wages of sin is death. As the, I've said it before. It's the only thing we're ultimately capable of earning for ourselves on our own. Because a wage is something you deserve. But he says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only two masters. One pays wages. Gives us what we deserve. And the other gives a gift. The wages we deserve, the gift we don't. It's just like your kids on Christmas morning, right? Think about your kids on Christmas morning. The gifts that you give are hardly an expression of compensation for their goodness and obedience. <laughs> right? <laughs> hardly. <laughs> I mean, if we really lived by that Santa rule, no one's getting presents. <laughs> no, those gifts are absolutely an expression of your love, of your love for those little children, as Jesus calls us. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> what then, says my sinful nature? What then? Shall we sin? Shall we sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace. <laughs> By no means, you're dead to me. See, if we play that game, sin will rule us because sin is a master. And an attitude that grace gives us a license to sin makes our deliverance from its power impossible. And so the, 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 the question we don't want to look at is, are you, am I, as committed to our Savior as, as we were to our sins? Because being fully committed to Christ actually sets us free in three very distinct ways from the domination of sin. First, grace sets us free from sin's delusion. You know, as we comprehend 
God's unconditional love and care and concern, we, we begin to see ourselves and, and others through his eyes. And it's like uh, grace uh, begins to lift the fog and discernment develops. And we can begin to see, for example, promiscuity punishes and purity rewards. Uh, and that selfishness restrains and, and selflessness liberates. Who knew? And as we begin to see these things and understand them, and number two, grace sets us free from sin's desire, right? You know, sin has warped so many to the incredible degree that even when they see their sin as destructive, they refuse to give it up. But grace draws us to the one who treasures us most. And as we begin to treasure him, sin, that which dishonors him, becomes more and more unattractive as we see it for what it is. And I think this is my favorite line in the whole message. True faith in Christ is a triumph of desire, not willpower. Say that with me, please. True faith in Christ is a triumph of desire, not willpower. Mm. Save that willpower for under the law. I mean, we need to exercise willpower. But it's more than that. It's more than choice. It's something we cherish. It's more than logic. It's something we love. It's more than a decision. It's something we delight in. And then if and when that begins to happen, then number three, grace sets us free from sin's despair. Because sin deludes people. It is so wickedly brilliant. Sin deludes us into thinking that wrong is right. And then it, then it lures us into doing that which is wrong and shameful. Then it turns right around and wags its finger and shames us for doing what it lured us into. You know why? It's brilliant. And it's wickedness. Because when you and I, when we are filled with self-disgust and self-remorse and self-pity and self-loathing, well, we'll do just about anything to numb or escape or distract ourselves from those feelings. And sin is right there to serve. Sin is right there to offer the means of ever deeper enslavement with the false promise of delivering us from the very thing it's offering us as a means of deliverance. Let me say that just a little slower. Sin is right there to offer the means of ever deeper enslavement with the false promise of delivering us from the very thing it's offering us as a means of deliverance. Oh, that's wickedly brilliant. But because of God's grace. My value, your value, is not derived from our performance. I was loved as a sinner way before I loved God. And I am forgiven when I fall and cleansed when I get up because I am a child of God and I'm growing up into Christ. And we're going to say those things together. I want you to say, I am forgiven when I fall. 
I am forgiven when I fall and cleansed when I get up and cleansed when I get up because I am a child of God, because I am a child of God and I'm growing up in Christ and I'm growing up in Christ. Whew. Because I'll tell you, the strength of grace oh, so easily breaks the back of guilt and shame and despair with the overwhelming, devastating, all engulfing power of love. And of that, you can be a dead sure. So let's pray. Father God, we love you. I can't wait to sing to you some more. We, we, we worship you. We, we praise you for sending your son to die, that we might die to sin, to live with you forevermore. So Holy Spirit, inspire us to grow up in Christ-like character and empower us to triumph over temptation. Lord Jesus, we can't thank you enough for setting us free by taking our shame to the cross and leaving it in that grave. And in your name, everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.